Blog Talk Radio. We assembled here today are issuing a new decree to be heard in every city, in every foreign capital, and in every hall of power. From this day forward, a new vision will govern our land. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. Every decision on trade, on taxes, on immigration, on foreign affairs will be made to benefit American workers and American families. We must protect our borders from the ravages of other countries making our products, stealing our companies, and destroying our jobs. Protection will lead to great prosperity and strength. I will fight for you with every breath in my body, and I will never, ever let you down. dreams for their child, and every child who dreams for their future, I say these words to you tonight. I am with you, I will fight for you, and I will win for you. tonight, in all of our cities and in all of our towns, I make this promise. We will make America strong again. We will make America proud again. We will make America safe again. And we will make America great again. God bless you, and good night. I love you.
You are entering the Rory Sauter Show, home of America's Man of the Hour and home of America's Biggest Trump Supporters. Climb aboard and buckle up your seatbelt because this is a wild ride. Nothing but unfiltered talk and the hardcore truth. Mega, mega, mega. Oh, something was wrong with the system for a second. Um, hello, everybody. Happy Thursday. This is Rory Sauter. Thank you for tuning in to the Rory Sauter Show. It's great to be with you all. I hope wherever you are, I hope your day is going well. I hope it's going accordingly. The weekend is approaching. Always exciting, always relieving, always a, a good time to uh, sit back and uh, enjoy the good times. Um, I want to thank, like I do every episode, uh, my audience. Um, it keeps growing and growing. Um, like I said, we have listeners in nine different countries now and uh, listeners all over the United States as well. Um, I'm very proud of that. Uh, we have a huge show tonight. Um, I want to thank the guests from last night. We had a, a great big show last night. It was fantastic. Um, tonight we will have uh, oil and natural gas investor, radical Islam expert, foreign policy analysis, best-selling author, entrepreneur, and contributor to Daily Caller, uh, Clash Daily, Live Set, Daily Surge, and The Hill, Dan Perkins. And I believe he's on the line with us right now. How are you, buddy? I'm fine, thank you, Roy. And I believe uh, my co-host Josh is on the line. How are you, Josh? 
How's it going? Doing real well. Excellent, excellent. Um, I'm glad to have you all here. Um, anybody listening, uh, please visit thedonaldjtrumpstore.com. Again, that's thedonaldjtrumpstore.com. And um, also visit uh, rorysodder.tv and uh, getyourappbuilt.com. Again, that's getyourappbuilt.com. I want to um, get to the obviously the headline topic, and uh, Dan uh, and uh, Josh, Peter Stork. Uh, what a goofball! What a you know piece of work that guy is. I'll tell you, um, we saw him on Capitol Hill make a complete. Uh, I mean, the guy is pleading the fifth. He's playing games. He's denying, denying, denying. Um, I do want to uh, play some clips. Bear with me, real quick, of uh, Peter Stork. Uh, he doesn't, you know, and, and, and real quick, Dan, uh, you know, he, he, the whole time today and he was in total denial. There was no accountability. There was no responsibility. There was nothing uh, achieved. It was political theater. Um, I mean, there were a few, uh, you know, of the people that ripped him doing, ripped into him and, you know, got some stuff out of him and, you know, and just the, the, us hearing about how they, turned Hillary Clinton from, um, you know, uh, gross negligence, which is a crime, to extremely careless so she wouldn't be charged. I mean, all the revelations that are coming out, can you believe this? Yeah, and um, as you know, Roy, I I tend to sometimes go uh, not with the flow. So. um I'm not going to go with the flow tonight. I'm I'm going to I'm going to. Uh, I think you'll be pleased with what I'm about to say, but I don't think anybody else is saying this at least so far. I have to tell you, in watching the highlights and watching some of that live testimony, yeah, I could never I I could never be more proud of being a Republican than I am right. tonight. Because of the denial, like just all the ignorance and no, and no, that's lying. not the issue. No, it has nothing to do with it. Okay. What we what we have seen that we have not seen, I can't tell you how long, decades. We yeah. saw the leadership of the Republican Party jump down the throat of the witnesses. But what was more important? the leadership, the two chairmen and the leadership of the Republican Party jumped down the throats of the Democrats who were trying to take control, and they didn't yeah. give it up. No, they all they demonstrated that they have a backbone. And what we have been missing from the Republican Party for a long time is, a is both a president, a president and congressional leaders with a spine. And what yeah. you saw today was not only did the two co-chairs, but deep into the rank and file members, Louis Gomez. I mean, his his attack on Strzok about lying to his wife and 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 chastising him uh, in his immoral behavior, along with the woman uh, Paige, her immoral. I just. I just sat there and watched it, and 
and I listened to what was being said and his taking the fifth and the FBI counsel won't allow him to talk and all that crap. But when I saw Trey Gowdy go after him, when I saw the chairman go after the ranking member on the Democratic Party about point of order and saying to him, there is no order, there is no point, um, and, he, and, the, and the Democrat pushed again, and, he, and the Republican pushed back again. I mean, it was amazing. And I got to believe, out in the hinterlands, there were a lot of Republican supporters of Donald Trump who were absolutely just cheering for the way that the Republican leadership and the many of the Republican congressmen said, enough, no more. And I'm not going to put up with this crap. And so to me, that was more important than what he didn't say. It's the fact that the, the Republicans, for the first time in my memory, and I'm be 73 in two weeks, had a backbone. Right. Oh, oh you're, you're absolutely right, 100%. And um, it's one of those things where for so long, and, you know, we know the, the corruption and the dirt and the, you know, the, the, the different slimy deals that are made in Washington. I mean, this, for the longest time, my strong, my strong belief was this was political theater uh, for a long time. I think a lot of these Republicans were on the inside with these Democrats in bed with them. And, uh, you know, they weren't, uh, I mean, we saw they weren't doing much at all. They had the majority. What did they do with it? They didn't utilize it properly. I mean, look what they had the majority under Obama and they couldn't even do much. They, I mean, they worked. They didn't work nearly as hard as they should have. Am I? Do I? Do you agree? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you you saw. Uh, I don't know whether you saw it today, but uh, on uh, Fox News, Judge Napolitano said yeah. he was disappointed in the president's pick for Supreme Court because he was a Washington insider. And you know, and I, I just had a, I had a real problem with Napolitano, and what he was characterizing. This man, that, you, he, he did. The, he, yeah, go ahead, go ahead, Dan. And then I'm going to say something. Go ahead. Sure. What he basically did, what, 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 what this judicial nominee was able to accomplish, he worked within the Beltway. He worked for 12 years or 13 years, and he had 300. 300 reports, opinions that were published. And what did the deep state do yesterday? Maybe you missed it. Maybe you didn't see it. Mr. Rosenstein, the assistant attorney yep. general, what did he? Yep. He's called in. He's called in state's attorneys from all over the country to begin to go over the 300. What is is the Justice Department or the FBI trying to do the job of the Congress, the Senate to investigate uh, and, and vet? Uh, I mean, nobody talked about that last night. It, like, it was perfectly uh, acceptable. So, you know, it, it, it's just when I saw what happened and I saw how many times Strzok went over to his attorneys and yeah. – uh, asked whether he could say anything, and he said he he couldn't. Oh uh, yeah, I, I was I'm, like, imagine if a Republican, uh, you know, was doing that, they'd be crucified. 
And you saw the distraction today. The media, the media the Democrats... would destroy the media. The media would destroy a Republican, but these Democrats keep getting passes. They keep getting away with it. That there's no. Right. I mean, I want to see Peter Stork in in cuffs, and everybody should. And now, as of now, Lisa Page is officially held in contempt. I don't know if that's going to do much good, but we'll see. We'll, we'll see if she. Uh, speaks because as we know she did not show up to her subpoena which is a you know that's 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 a message right there saying guilty i know a lot yeah and 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 she her her contention of why she didn't show up for the closed testimony is that she didn't have enough time to prepare uh and review her files at the fbi you got it known that she's been part of it Oh, keep going, keep going. I was uh, keep going. Sorry. She's she's known for months and months and months that she was an integral player in this, and yeah. uh, and and, she, and you know again, what what we saw today. Uh, this is an ob- another observation. What I saw today was struck, and I expect to see with with Miss Mrs. Page. What I expect to see is a continuation of the same demeanor of struck. And what we're seeing is the height of the intelligentsia of the Justice Department and the FBI who believed that they were in control and they were in control of the election and they were going to prevent Mr. Trump from getting, getting elected. These are the elites who could, who could care less what the deplorables wanted to do. And the idea that he could sit there and say, well, these statements had no influence on my decision about what I was going to do. And he said today that he wasn't dismissed for wrongdoing from the Mueller investigation. I'm using my word, not his words. He was dismissed because of, quote, optics, that maybe it didn't look good, but he didn't, he wasn't, he wasn't thrown off the, the, the Mueller team because of anything that he had done that was wrong. It was the, the appearance that was creating a problem for both of them. And, you know, it, it's just amazing to me that they look at things, they really do see things differently than we see them. And when I, I just, the arrogance was just there. Yes. That's a good, that's a good description. Thank you. I mean, I mean, were we on planet Earth? I'm going to play some clips right now of Peter Stork in court today. And this, this fucking guy, this guy is ridiculous. I mean, this guy, the way he plays games and he has a smirk on his face, he's smug in court. I mean, the guy takes no accountability whatsoever. He doesn't recall. I mean, you've got to listen to some of these clips. Uh, the first one is uh, one three. Here's what I want to know. Who's the he? And he's not. He is then candidate Trump. So when you said, no, Donald Trump's not, in in connection with the question, going to become president, what's the it? Chairman Gotti. stop it. Chairman Gotti, that text needs to be taken in the context. I'm I'm asking, look, if you want to have a debate over a two-letter word, we're going to have to do that some other time. What? And who did you mean by it? Mr. Gowdy, as I've stated, that text was written late at night 
in shorthand. I don't care when it was written. About. I don't care it's whether it was longhand, cursive. I don't care about any of that. I want to know what it meant, Agent Strzok. It would be his candidacy for the presidency. And my sense that the American yeah, population would not vote him into office. Right, right. Well, we hadn't gotten to the will yet. Well, I'm your, trying to, I'm your trying to cut through the case and explain the, the text. The I, will I is it. the American people. Is that right? That's your testimony. The will stop it. You were speaking on behalf of the American people. Is that correct? Mr. Gowdy, what my testimony is and what I said during extensive asking of this question during my prior interview is I don't recall writing that text. What Are I you denying you, writing the text? What I can tell you is that text in no way suggested that I or the FBI would take any action to influence the candidate. Agent candidate. Strzok, that, that is a fantastic answer to a question. Jesus. I mean, and here, here's another, real quick, here's another good one. And your testimony is Bob Mueller did not kick you off because of the content of your text. He kicked you off because of some appearance that he was worried about. My testimony, what you asked and what I responded to, was that he kicked me off because of my bias. I'm stating to you it is not my understanding that he kicked me off because of any bias, that it was done based on the appearance. If you want to represent what you said accurately, I'm happy to answer that question, okay. but I don't appreciate what was originally said being changed. I don't give a damn what you appreciate, Agent Strzok. I don't appreciate having an FBI agent with an unprecedented level of animus working on two major investigations during 2016. Let's put, now let's play this next clip. Uh, Peter Storky, you're up. Let's hear this. And let me tell you, when you have text messages, Mr. Strzok, the way you do, saying the things you did, you'd been better off coming in here and say, look, that was my bias. And you kind of get around to that a little bit when you say, hey, uh, you know, everybody's got political views. Those are called biases, and we all have them. And you have come in here and said, I have no bias. And you do it with a straight face. And I watched you in the, in the private testimony you gave, and I told some of the other guys, he is really good. He's lying. He knows we know he's lying. And he could probably pass a polygraph. It's amazing. Mr. Chairman. No, this is my Mr. Time. Chairman, I'm sorry. I, point of order. This point of order. No. The general state is point of order. A member of this committee just asserted that this witness who is under oath and a former agent of the FBI lied. There is no evidence that I asked him to withdraw it. I do not withdraw it. He is not a member of Congress. It's not a violation of the rule. And just as you have been expressing bias through your members about what a hero there is not a single person on this committee who has ever characterized a witness. Gentleman from Rhode Island. Gentlemen, it's my time. That's a gentleman from Rhode Island will suspend. No, the disgrace Mr. Mr. what this man has done. The gentleman from Texas will suspend for a moment. Is the disgrace. And it won't be recaptured anytime soon because of the damage you've done to the justice system. And I've talked to FBI agents around the country. You've embarrassed them. You've embarrassed yourself. And I can't help but wonder, when I see you looking there with a little smirk, how many times did you look so innocent into your wife's eye and lie to her about uh, Lisa? Mr. Chairman, it's outrageous. The credibility of a witness Shame is always on you. an Mr. issue. Chairman. Mr. You Chairman, please. Have have you Mr. Know. Chairman, this is an intolerable harassment of the witness. What is wrong with that? You need your medication. Jesus Christ. I mean, I, I watched mm. some of the clip, clips today, and I watched, you know, a lot of it on TV. 
but it erupted. These people went nuts. I mean, it was they were wanted wanted each other's faces. I mean, it was it got a little heated at times. Don't you just love that? Yeah, or, don't you don't? Uh, were you, do you understand now what I said when I said at the beginning of this program why I was proud to be a Republican? Because I, I found a bunch exactly. of Republicans that have backbones and it stood yep. up and took the Democrats on toe to toe. They didn't yep. back down. Josh, and, go ahead. And you know, you know, yeah. I mean, just to speak about Louis Gomer for a minute, I mean, man, I, so I got to meet him a couple of years ago in D.C. when I was lobbying and then again in Alabama uh, for an event. But, boy, I tell you what, he is one of the smartest people in Congress, and I'm really glad he finally got a chance to show a little bit of it. Um, but he is, I tell you what, he is, the funny thing is, he's one of the smartest, but he's also one of the most, you know, quiet, not necessarily quiet, but he's not very brash like that. But you could tell he was very, um, not only was he concerned, but he knew what he was talking about, and he was so bothered by all the information that's come out about Stork, he couldn't hold it in anymore, and he kind of went off on him. And, I mean, it was beautiful. And the, the Democrats, as they may, tried to stop him from saying it, but, but they couldn't. Um, and, you know, uh, I, uh, I just love listening to Gomer. He's fantastic. As well as, you know, Jim Jordan and Trey Gowdy also – uh, you know, Jim Jordan brought up uh, David Korn, which I thought was really good, and obviously Stork refused to answer any questions regarding that. Um, and you know, but uh, uh, I mean, it was even though I don't believe that though most likely there won't be any indictments from this, it was sure was good um, to you know make Stork. Stork looked like an idiot. I mean, the whole time he did. But I he really wanted, did. I want to go ahead. Dan. I wanted. I just want to disagree with one point you just made. On Josh, sure. he is still, he is, he's, he's still, Roy, he's still under investigation under the inspector general. And so he may, in fact, be indicted, not by Congress, by the FBI hmm. and the Justice Department. Because do you really, but, but do you really, look, but here's the thing, Dan, and here's what I, I, I see and what I, you know, view, you know, from Peter Stork, he's as calm as it can be. He doesn't look like he's worried about anything. I just, mm-hmm. if, if, a, if a guy, you know, if somebody was worried about getting in trouble or going to jail, I mean, they'd be sweating in that room. I mean, he's so good. At, it, it, he must be a great actor then if, if, if he's not, you know, I just don't see it. I don't, I just think he's going to get away with it. Just like I think Lisa Page will face some time possibly and Andrew McCabe. But what, why do you think Peter Stork? Why do I think what about Stork? Why do you think he'll get, uh, do you think he'll be arrested? Do you think he'll be put in cuffs? I, I think, I think that the continuing investigation you're going to. I. I would not be surprised. But they're not. Do, they're not. They're not me. taking it serious. They're not taking it seriously enough. I mean, they're doing the same sort of thing they kind of did with. Uh, you know, I. I hate to say it, but how long have we been hearing about Stork and Page for months, and not, you know, nothing's really come of it. And. I just worry about the corruption. I just worry. I. You know. I just. I. And, one of those. And things. I think that's. I think that's a very valid point. But. Uh, but what I'm saying is that. Uh, and maybe I have uh, Pollyannish hope here, but I believe you know this this this. Uh, this committee of the Justice Department that is investigating, 
Comey, for example, on his his and McCain. Do you think he'll real quick? Their, do you think he'll get cuffed? Do you think he'll be in cuffs, Comey? Yes. Really? I really do. You're making that yep. really. Even how look at how confident he is going out on his book tour celebrating. I mean, you th- you really think that this guy doesn't even know what's coming to him? Right. Did, did you have, have, after Strzok finishes his ma- marathon testimony? Yeah. Did you hear anything from Comey tonight? No. Nope. Any statements? Any comments? Crickets. Crickets. Nothing. And Nothing. and and uh, that, Not a word. That's a, that's. A, Extremely telling because I I think that that uh, there was a there was a piece that I saw online tonight where they're comparing Strzok and Comey and that that the article that I saw says that Comey was the one who taught Strzok how to lie the way he does. Do you want to hear it's, it's the same? And saying, keep going. Yeah, I want to say something after you say something that matches what you're saying. I just say that they, they said that they were cut. From, they were cut from the same cloth. That they they, they are both pathological liars. And uh, and and but I'm as I said, I might be Pollyannish. I think that the 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 Office of Conduct may in fact go after McCabe, which means that you know we have Mueller trying to turn. Uh, people that they have either in jail or under indictment against Trump. And it very well may be that McCabe is the first to turn and he turns on Comey and other people in order to save his, save his butt. I think that's very possible. But, but and you know, you know what the sick part is and you know what the, 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 the delusion and just the, what what the left is doing tonight is they're praising Peter Stork. They're, some of them on social media are calling Peter Stork a hero. I mean, these people don't – they live in a different world. I don't know. I'm, I'm, it's scary. This is not, this is not safe, what, the, what their brains are being filled with. I, I, I don't disagree with you. I, I, I think that it's – but see, when we talked earlier in the week, I said yeah. to you, what's going on with this judge appointment? I, I told you that I wrote last week that the Democrats yeah. have got it wrong. This is not the yeah. judge they should be dealing with. They should realize that there's every good possibility that Trump will report one more, and most likely it will be Ruth Bader Ginsburg who will be replaced. And when Trump is done, instead of being 5-4, it could be 6-3. And I just think that, uh, and, and, and I think another surprise retirement will be Justice Thomas. I think that I hope he's not. probably. I love, I love him. I love him. I hope not. I agree. I, hope not. I agree. But, but, but see, the, the, whether the story is true or not, it makes all the sense yeah. in the world. And what I heard and, today was that Kennedy, yeah. after Gorsuch was appointed, Kennedy felt secure that he could retire and that the process would allow the court to be added for a replacement for him based on the political process 
and the and the head count in in the Senate that that the court would stay five four conservatives and with Thomas this is why I think Thomas will retire when when the current one gets a, appointed and we get through yes. the primary or we get to the midterm elections and the and the Democrats have not taken control of the House or the Senate, then what you will see is an exchange, a trade, if you would. Thomas will leave the court probably end of the 2018-2019 session because by replacing Thomas with a younger conservative, the duration of the court being 5-4, is extended many decades. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And you look at, um, you know, what what's going, what what went on with, you know, with with electing and nominating um, Brett Kavanaugh. He's he's just as good as Neil Gorsuch. I mean, his background, his resume, uh, very impressive. Very. Yeah. And there, it's all it's all clean. And he's getting praise from every Republican, and he's even getting getting praise uh, from some of the left, which is uh, uh, surprising, but you know, uh, kind of refreshing in a sense. What I saw today was an informal poll that at least three Democrats will support him. We don't right. need three Democrats. We don't need three Democrats to support. We just need all the Republicans. We only need. We just needed the Republicans to vote, and I haven't heard any Republican. John McCain came out yesterday and endorsed him. So I don't know of any Republicans who are raising, at least at the moment, are raising any questions about him. So as I said to you, and we talked a little bit about earlier in the week about this piece that I wrote, and again tonight, the Democrats have got it wrong. The Democrats are focusing on the wrong guy, the net, the the. And and what what I think is going to happen is that Ruth is going to retire at the end of the 2019 season, and either Thomas is going to retire or Thomas is going to retire with her. And Trump appoints two. He'll appoint the the woman from Notre Dame to replace Ruth, and another conservative to replace Thomas, and it'll be six three. For twenty to thirty years, exactly, and that will allow that will allow the Republicans to unwind forty years of legislating from the bench, which is the court has been doing because the Democrats couldn't get stuff passed through the Congress. They went to the courts and legislation to the bench. That'll stop. Yeah. And now what about, you know, you know what baffles me? You know, I, I want to get Josh's thoughts real quick, and then I want to get talk about something. Go ahead, Josh. Yeah, I mean, boy, honestly, Rory, I really don't have a whole lot more to say about this, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to divert to you and then go after you. Okay. Um, so I, something that is kind of puzzling to me and kind of makes me wonder – is the Democrats want to um, 
they want to they want Steve Bannon to be subpoenaed. Why why do they want Steve Bannon to be subpoenaed? This is this is getting you know what Steve Bannon uh, I, don't, I don't think is uh, going to give them much. You know he's not really much of a talker. Uh, what are your thoughts, Dan? Well, that's a that's a that's a good observation because I was gonna I was gonna talk about that, but you beat me to the punch, but that's okay. That yeah. was all that was all tact that was all tactics. What they were trying to what the Democrats were trying to do is they were trying to change the agenda Scare away tactics. from Strzok, and so that they they decided they wanted to bring up this contempt of Congress situation for Bannon who at the time he was called to testify uh, used executive privilege, but he's no longer an executive in the administration. He's now a private citizen, and he's been a private citizen for some time, but it was all specifically designed by the Democratic Party to, you know, and I'll prove another point, but it was all designed to, disrupt and distract the Republicans off of their agenda. And this is why I said it was important because the the Republicans didn't go off of the agenda. They continued to put the pressure on Strzok. The other point that I wanted to make was, is that if you, if you watch the early part of the hearing at all, after Gowdy was uh, talking and the chairman was talking, the ranking minority member was trying to make a point of order. And I thought it was unusual that he had a scripted point of order. In other words, he already knew that he was simply looking for the opportunity to raise the point of order to read his document about what he wanted to say, he was just looking for an opening to say it. That's what we saw a lot happen today with the Democrats, is that they were trying to raise points of order to challenge, disrupt the hearing, and to distract and intimidate the committee leadership, but they failed. The committee leadership did not. I mean, if you listen to Trey Gowdy today, I mean, this guy was on fire. He he was he wasn't taking any crap from anybody, and right. and, and as I said, I, I hate to come back to it again, but we had Republicans with a spine, a very un, uh, unusual thing to happen in the federal that we have Republicans with a spine, and I I just think it's it's a wonderful thing to watch to see how the Democrats are squirming, knowing they got a serious problem. And they're trying to they're trying to distract their way out of the problem, and it's not going to happen. Oh, absolutely! I mean, you know, they're they're in so they're in such a hole, and it's such a tarnished party. It's gone so far left that that it's communism. I mean, there's people leaving leaving the Democratic Party because it's not the Democratic Party that they once knew. It's not the it's not the JFK I, days. It's not the you know the days of the conservative Democrat. You know, it's it's all about socialism. It's sickening. I mean, their message is free, 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 entitlement, entitlement, entitlement. Uh, you know, it's got to stop. It's got to end. Hey, hey you Dan, I had, a, I had a question, ahead, if you don't mind. Yeah. Sure. Dan, yeah. I mean. So I was kind of 
for well for both of you, but Dan first and then Rory, I know you all have something you want to say on it. I, I just was curious, do you think that Trump has anything to do with the reasons why these Republicans are all of a sudden have seemed to find their backbone? Obviously, people like Trey Gowdy already have blown up in the past and whatnot. But for, you know, if you listen to a lot of those, because I listened to about three hours of the hearing, um, a lot of the Republicans were asking really, really, you know, big, bald questions that they feel like they wouldn't have asked in the past. Do you think that Trump had really anything, the, Trump, the way that Trump has handled himself had anything to do with that? Absolutely. Absolutely. The president of the United States is by default the head of the party. So if Barack Obama, when he was president of the United States, he was head of the Democratic Party. Donald Trump is head of the Republican Party. Now, there are people in the Republican Party who initially, rhinos, anti-Trumpers, who were opposed to him, and he won anyway. What's happening is that, that they have now begot, they've gotten comfortable I know this sounds terrible to say it this way, but there are elected representatives in Congress who've gotten comfortable of taking the same strategy that Mr. Trump is taking, and it's all in the book. Read the book, Art of the Deal. They're beginning to understand that what Mr. Trump is doing Best business book of all time. It works. Yeah. Absolutely. And here's the thing about that. I'm glad you brought that up. And I'm going to answer Josh's question in a second. But I'm glad you brought up the art of the deal. Because what Trump is doing, he's utilizing the art of the deal in a lot of his negotiations and amazing uh, you know, uh, promises that he's delivered on. He is living the art of the deal. I mean, it's basically, it's him. You know, it, it, it's, it, it lives inside of him. I mean, it, it's on a daily basis. I mean, it's, it's it's very impressive. I mean, this is – he's creating the impossible. Real quick, I do – I am going to answer your question, Josh, but I want to welcome our other special guest, uh, economics <laughs> expert, public policy analysis, writer for Town Hall, Newsmax, Live Debt, and a professor of finance at Stockton University in New Jersey, Dr. Michael Bussler. How are you, sir? I'm well, Rory, and everybody else. How's everybody? Fantastic. Good. To- good. Good. And it, uh, to answer your question, Josh, um, yes, I absolutely do think Trump has a strong and, and very uh, significant impact on these people because these people look up to Trump uh, as a hero. They look up to him as – well, some of them do. You know, the, the ones that are true patriots do. Uh, you know, they realize that, you know, Trump's mentality and Trump's uh, persona and, you know, just the way he the way he deals with things in such a uh, a constructive and strong manner, they're getting tips definitely from him, and I think they're learning from him. And I think yes, I think there the toughness uh, definitely uh, was uh, you know had to do had to do with Trump. It's the word change. I mean the the it's changing. I mean we're, we're starting to get uh, leadership back. We're starting to get some toughness back. And, uh, you know, like, you know, it's true that the president of the United States is the person uh, that everyone uh, should be looking to uh, for, uh, you know, the, the, the smartest route or the greatest strategy or, you know, his, I mean, he's the best of the best. And 
I mean, we're in a great scenario. I'm just so happy. You know what, uh, too, Rory, that Trump's style is, is so uh, different than what Obama's style was, and we had to live through it's for the so, last eight years. You know, I call Trump, and, and you know, I'm glad you brought that up, uh, Michael Bussler. I'm gra- glad you brought that up because I, call tr- I consider Trump, a prof- I call him a profound machine. I mean, there's nothing like him. I mean, it's, he's like God's gift to earth. I mean, God and Jesus sent God and Jesus sent him here to literally. I mean, make America great again. We've never seen anything like these times. I mean, we're living in the best of the best. I mean, the economy is the best it's ever been. I mean, and what a what a time to be alive. But keep going. I'm sorry. Yeah, I was just going to say that uh, you know, with uh, President Obama. Um, it seemed every word he said was Barack carefully scripted. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 100% uh, every... scripted. Absolutely. And yeah, that's and... the thing, Michael. Here's what, here's what Obama did to everybody. He was a great speaker. Absolutely brilliant speaker, Obama. Yes, he was. I'll give him Absolutely, credit. Yep. I'll give him credit in that one area. And that's how he fooled so many people. And that is how so many people fell in love with the guy. Because he would make these promises and these speeches, and the people are gullible, and you know they fought, they they believed him sadly, and uh, you know look look where they are today. They're in the same place they were when they voted for him the first time in 2008. You know some of the people at least that are uh, resisting and uh, you know not uh, not wanting to embrace this American dream and America first Trump agenda. Yeah, and because he uh, scripted everything um, and every, uh, everything he said had an emphasis on being politically correct, things not only um, uh, yep. were things he said very scripted, uh, the manner in which he said them, he was very careful with every word to say things that were politically correct. Well, after eight years of that, um, many people in government, really on both sides of the aisle, became very careful in how you started to say things. You know, then along comes uh, Trump, uh, who's uh, from Queens section of New York. Uh, and if you know anything about the people that, that live there, uh, they're very direct people. Uh, sometimes they're a little bit uh, uh, less filtered than we'd like them to be. Uh, they like to exaggerate about things. Uh, everything New Yorkers do is the greatest and the best. And this is going to be a huge and instead of uh, having every word scripted, um, people in from New York uh, let let their feelings be known, and they say things a little more exactly the way they they are. And that's what Trump's uh, whole style has been, even when he was with uh, NATO for the last day or two, and even in England today. Um, he is going to tell us the way that, it is. He's not holding shortly. anything back. I'll get to that yeah. shortly. Yeah, President, President Trump arrived in England today. He also has some things to say about NATO. I want to get into that real quick. Play those clips. Uh, bear with me real quick. Um, but you're absolutely right. And you know what else he did today, which was extremely um, amazing and, you know, just sent a huge message basically calling out. He did it, he did it yesterday and he did it today. Uh, he's ripped Putin apart in Russia full days yeah. on, on on these interviews. But you got to say what he said about Putin here. 
Putin is a competitor. He's not my buddy. Listen, listen, this is great. I just, just wonder, you think you're going to get along with President Putin at that meeting. Could you just tell us, why do you think that? Is there something you admire about him? And the second question, because you're just about to go to the Well, UK, he's a competitor. Sir. He's been very nice to me the times I've met him. I've been nice to him. He's a competitor. You know, somebody was saying, is he an enemy? No, he's not my enemy. Is he a friend? No, I don't know him well enough. No. But the couple of times that I've gotten to meet him, we got along very well. You saw that. Um, I hope we get along well. I think we get along well. Uh, but... Ultimately, he's a competitor. He's representing Russia. I'm representing the United States. So, in a sense, we're competitors. Not a question of friend or enemy. He's not my enemy. And hopefully someday, maybe he'll be a friend. It could happen. But I, don't, I just don't know him very well. I've met him a couple of times. And when I did meet him, most of you people... Now, let me... I'm going to play uh, Trump and NATO, the NATO... Yeah, how NATO is being held accountable. This is great. I'm going to play uh, one for real quick. And uh, we really accomplished a lot with respect to NATO. For years, presidents have been coming to these meetings and uh, talked about the expense, the tremendous expense for the United States, and uh, tremendous progress has been made. Everyone's agreed to substantially up their commitment. They're going to yep. up it at levels that they've never thought of before. Uh, oh, yeah. Last year, where I attended my first meeting, it was going down. Uh, the amount of money being spent by uh, countries was going down and down very substantially. And now it's going up very substantially, and commitments were made. Uh, only five of 29 countries were making their commitment, uh, and that's now changed. The commitment was at 2%. Ultimately, that'll be going up quite a bit higher than that. So we are... Uh, we made a tremendous amount of progress today. Uh, it's been about, at a minimum, they estimate, and they're going to be giving you exact numbers. But since last year, they've raised an additional $33 billion uh, that's been put up by the various countries, not including the United States. And the United States' uh, commitment to NATO is very strong, remains very strong, but primarily because everyone, the spirit they have, uh, the amount of money they're willing to spend, the additional money that they will be putting up has been really, uh, really amazing to see it. To see the level of spirit in that room is incredible. And I hope that we're going to be able to get along with Russia. I think that we probably will be able to. Uh, the people in the room think so, but uh, they nevertheless, they really stepped up their commitment and uh, stepped it up like they never have before. So we p took in an additional 33. Uh, the number could actually be higher than 40 when they give you the final number. The Secretary General Stoltenberg will be giving those numbers sometime today, probably in his concluding uh, press statement. Uh, but uh, we, are, uh, we are doing numbers like they've never done before or ever seen before. And you'll be seeing that, and I guess you'll be hearing that uh, a little bit later. So there you have it. Um, oh God, I love this president. I, it's just I, I love <laughs> mega all day, mega all night. I mean, it's mega twenty four seven. It's to all this winning. And when he campaigned, I've been with him since day one. I've been with him since he said, "I am officially running for president of the United." And he walked down that escalator, and I knew he was going to win. And I knew he, the winning was never going to stop. And he was right. 
Uh, Roy, let me uh, let me make an observation if I can, since I have to get off here pretty quick. Yeah. Um, I think I, th- I think one of the things that we're losing sight of, and it's and it's not specifically in the art of the deal. It is about him as a person. Um, there are leaders in the Democratic Party and some people in the Republican Party who don't understand how fast Mr. Trump processes a problem and comes up with a solution. And so they were, they were criticizing Mr. Trump early in the week because he doesn't understand NATO. It's been around for a gazillion years, and many presidents have come and, and worked out whatever. They don't understand whether it's whether it's three hours he spent with Kim or five hours with NATO or the G7. He walks into the meeting in command of the facts, knows what he wants to get done because he's made the decision, what he thinks is the right thing that needs to be done, says it, instructs his people to go do it, and moves on. He doesn't take months and years to figure out a solution to the problem. He gets his best advice, then he sits down, uses his own intellect, and makes a decision. And what we don't understand is that bureaucracies take forever to make decisions. Trump is not a bureaucrat. He is a man who is used to making decisions all of his life and makes them based on experience, his guts, whatever. We don't understand. We are still uncomfortable with his style because we many Americans do not understand his style. Yeah, you know that's uh, if I can add that's that's exactly ahead, right. Um, we we've always had yeah I was going to say we've always had someone who uh, as president who was a politician, um, and we're right that uh, politicians um, they see what could be a problem. Uh, they consult their advisors. Uh, they talk to the other side and see what they want to do. You convene a summit. Years go go by, and um, who knows if these problems get solved. The point is that um, President Trump is a business person. A business person will see a problem, confront the problem, look at all the options, pick the best options, implement it, and move on to the next problem. He's not business people don't wait around. They, their businesses can't afford it. You can't wait around and let problems fester and turn into something that's going to impact the bottom line and hurt, hurt the business. Business people will confront problems immediately. Uh, again, look at the options, solve them, move forward. And that's exactly what President Trump is doing. And you're right. There are people, uh, people just are not used to politicians confronting this. They're used to politicians coming up to very serious problems and, hey, if it's too tough, let's just kick the can down the road. We'll let the next person coming in as president, let them worry about it. Well, President Trump says the next person is here. I'm not kicking the can down the road on anything when it comes to dealing with uh, North Korea, when it comes to uh, the U.S. contributing too much money to NATO, uh, when it comes to U.S. contributing too much money to the U.N., when it comes to Americans being uh, overtaxed when it comes to yeah. a bad health care system, when it comes to yeah. an immigration system that needs to be fixed. President Trump 
tries to create a sense of urgency. That's what all these tariffs are about. Create a sense of urgency, bring people to the table, and let's get these problems solved, not kick the can down the road. You're absolutely you're absolutely right, and well said. Wow, bravo, bravo, <laughs> um, J- J- Josh, um, uh, Dan. I want you. I know you have to go soon, but Dan, I want you to add on to that if you have anything. Well, I I I, I agree with him. I, I was trying to make the point before he spoke is that that we that he, we no we have. I wrote a piece about about North Korea and Donald Trump. And it wasn't really about North Korea. I said in the piece that Donald Trump is the most uniquely qualified man to hold the office of president, to negotiate a terms, and it's because he's a businessman. If you look at Lyndon Johnson, John Kennedy, Richard Nixon, and Ronald Reagan, they all had disasters with their first Trump, with their first summit meetings, Trump is right. Not. And so, right. And, and so, what I'm seeing is when you when you work on a global stage the way Mr. Trump has, yes. and he's worked yes. with leaders all over the world to get his his golf courses, hotels, office buildings, get them all built and developed. He has he had a world presence that John Kennedy and Johnson and the rest of them, including Richard Nixon, have. never had. He walked into the office. He had been training for all of his life to be the chief executive officer of the United States of America Incorporated. Oh, yeah. He he always knew this time was going to come. He always knew he was going to be – I have a feeling he always knew he was going to be president. Before before you go, very important, a couple things I want to get to you, Dan. Um, Jim Jordan – uh, Peter Stork refused – going back to that real quick, Peter Stork refused to tell Jim Jordan uh, how he got different versions of Trump dossier. That's pretty, that's pretty frightening. Agreed. And, and it, 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 again, what I don't understand, I, 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 I've used all the gray matter I can on this subject, and I still can't come up with a rationale. What I don't understand in this whole situation, why nobody is not marching around in an orange jumpsuit from justice and treasury. I don't understand that. And I, Me neither. Why do we have an attorney? Why we have an attorney general who isn't going out and indicting people? We 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 let Mueller. Yeah. Yeah. Go to the go to the court and ask the court order. To take to revoke Manafort's bail and put him in solitary confinement. Yeah, this is not a man who's, who's murdered a bunch of people. He's and he's worked for many presidents. Why didn't they get it? Why didn't they get him years ago? He's worked for many presidents. He's worked for many people. He's very popular, but it's all about Trump. They want to get to Trump. And so that's a, it's another example of what's going on in the Justice Department. And the the FBI is that yeah. there's something, and I don't know what it is. It, it's very frustrating for me. I don't yeah. know what it is. And you've been doing this these... a long time. You you've been doing this a long time, investigating, doing reports out of Washington D.C. You know the inside. I mean, you know the scoop. You're you're always on top of things. 
Well, I, I appreciate that. I just This is one that's got me baffled, and I, I keep digging and digging and digging, and I haven't found it yet, but I'm, I'm not giving up. What else? What else can you do? I do for you before I have to leave. Before you leave, I want to ask. I want to ask, and everybody probably wants to talk about this. Let's talk about the nice letter that President Trump received from Mr. Kim Jong Un today. And I'm going to read it. Your Excellency, Mr. President, the significant first meeting with Your Excellency and the joint statement that we signed together in Singapore 24 days ago was indeed the start of a meaningful journey. I deeply appreciate the energetic and extraordinary efforts made by Your Excellency, Mr. President, for the improvement of relations between the two countries and the faithful implementation of the joint statement. I firmly believe all the strong will, sincere efforts, and unique approach of myself and Your Excellency, Mr. President, aimed at opening up a new future between the DPRK and the U.S. will surely come to fruition. Um, wishing that the invariable trust and confidence in Your Excellency, Mr. President, will be further strength, strengthened in the, in the future process of taking practical actions. I extend my conviction that the epochal progress in promoting the DPRK-U.S. relations will bring our next meeting forward. Uh, signed, Kim Jong-un. Hmm. Very nice. So why do you think that happened, Roy? Because of Trump, you know, uh, Kim Jong-un is is seeing a guy that is not messing around. He's seeing a guy that's giving him opportunity. He's uh, He sees a guy that is, uh, you know, somebody that can you can get along with as long as you play fair. And, and I think, and we all know what Kim wants for his country. We all know that he... Um, he wants that vacation, uh, you know, that, that luxury paradise that Trump presented to him. I mean, all the off opportunities and offers and, you know, routes he could go, uh, you know, if he did deals with the U.S., and that's what he wants, and we see that. It's visible. But the liberal media wants to deny it, of course. <clears throat> so I'm going to – Yeah, you know – oh, I'm sorry. Dan, go I'm ahead. Just, uh, just, uh, as, as I said to you now on this, this show already, I'm going to go a different direction, okay? Yes. North Korea, after Pompeo left, North Korea, unnamed source, put out a trial balloon about how bad the meetings went. Yeah. And the pushback, the pushback to Kim is, was from the White House, Mr. Trump, and other parties. That was the wrong message to send. So he realized he made a grievous error because, see, what he – what the tactic that he did by having a surrogate say, you know, this meeting with Pompeo was a disaster. We're on the brink, yada, yada, yada. That's the way the Kim family has functioned for three generations dealing with American presidents. And I'm sure there was another letter that we didn't hear about from Mr. Trump to Mr. Kim. I don't like what you're saying. They got the pushback, and they weren't expecting the pushback. They were expecting him to fold like a cheap suit. He didn't. He pushed back. And Kim, in order to save face, had to, in essence, by the letter that you read, 
was a total and absolute denial of the supposed comments about how unproductive the meetings were with Pompeo. So you think it's 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 nasty right now between the two? No, I think what happened is that that Mr. Kim figured out, like the Democrats are finding out with Mr. Trump, he doesn't give any quarter. Exactly. And so when 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 he didn't capitulate, when Trump didn't capitulate, and when Pompeo said no, I, you know, must there must have been a different meeting than I was. It was all part of the tactics that they were trying to see whether or not was Trump going to stick to his guns and how would he react. And he didn't react publicly. He just said a very firm message to Mr. Kim. That's unacceptable behavior. And what did Mr. Kim do? That letter was, in essence, an apology by the leader of North Korea to the president, Mr. President of the United States. Yes. We are. We want to work with you. We want to be cooperative. All this stuff. So, the message right. came very clear, Mr. Kim. That was not the right thing to do. We know what you're trying to do, but understand, we're not going to play that game. You're going to play with us. You're going to work with us. You're going to do what we want to do, and that's yeah. what happened. No, nobody's talking about that, but that's the reality yeah. of what happened. And something funny, President Trump is sending El- Elton John Rocketman CD to Kim Jong-un. He's sending it officially to him. Um, Josh, I know you want to respond real quick. Go ahead. Yeah, and, and Dan, I don't know if you have to go. I don't want to, I don't want to keep you uh, here in the, in the lingo, but, um, boy, I, I tell you what, this, I, I think you're 100% right, Dan, with talking about the, you know, North Korea, like you said, has done this in the past, and, uh, uh, basically, they were looking. They were trying to antagonize and look for a public response from um, President Trump, trying to you know get underneath his skin publicly. Call his bluff. And you know, yeah. And I think you're. I think you know. Obviously, we don't have any proof of this, but I think that. I mean, that definitely makes sense with what North Korea has done in the past. And uh, you know, boy, if, if that is if if the story you said you know did go down. You know, huge props to Trump, and that I mean, that's just another check mark in his book of you know successes. Um, boy, I tell you that the the winning is getting uh, the winning is getting almost out too much there. <laughs> it's getting out of control. Too much winning, man. There's way too much winning. Um, but Dan, I always a pleasure having you on. I want to thank you, Dan Perkins, everybody. Oil and natural gas investor, radical Islam expert, foreign policy analysis, best-selling author, entrepreneur, and contributor to Daily Caller, Clash Daily, LiveZet, Daily Search, and The Hill. Uh, Dan, uh, your website where people can find you as well. Please promote anything you you want. Feel free. Yeah, it's danperkins.guru. Um, there's a new column out today on Newsmax on the front page uh, that I wrote about Facebook which is something we should probably talk about in the future, about um, them uh, manipulating free speech in the country. So it's always it's a pleasure. A have problem. a great weekend. Yeah, yeah you too. Have a great you weekend. Have a great week. We'll, we'll talk again we'll next talk week. next week, Dan. You'll be on the show next week. All right, Dan. Cheers. Thank you. God bless. Dan Perkins, everybody. Good guy, good guy. Uh, Michael Bustler, are you still there, buddy? Yeah, I'm right here. Yep. Certainly here. All right, so, taking all this so, taking all this in. I know, there's a lot to take in. 
Um, you know what I really want to talk about, though, is, um, you know, I'm going to make some quick announcements. The um, Jesus Christ, there's a new report out today. CNN is calling on Facebook to censor InfoWars for, for fake news. I mean, are you serious? Mm. They want, and they want to censor Fox News as well. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it doesn't surprise me, based on some of the uh, behavior that they've had in, in the uh, past, uh, Facebook, I think, has got a, a pretty serious problem. Um, yeah, Dan, you know, brought, they have, brought um, something. Dan brought up yeah. something that's a big issue in our country right now, censoring a free speech. Yeah, um, that's a huge issue. Um, and on top of the problems that Facebook has without, um, because they haven't been able to keep uh, data secure, uh, personal data about users secure, um, that's leading to some of the problems that they uh, have. And now with the idea of censoring, um, they yeah. say they're going to uh, uh, try to uh, cut down or eliminate as much as possible any misleading or untrue ads, particularly political ads. Um, now, they have to walk a fine line there because um, the, to do that, um, you sometimes come in conflict with uh, some free speech and some things that are actually true. And, it, you know, it looks like you start censoring things that – are actually true. So they, they've, they've got a, a problem. They're going to have to figure out how to come up with a solution that keeps everybody happy and doesn't really uh, censor any uh, voices that want to be heard. Yeah, well, actually, absolutely. Very, uh, very well said. Um, you know, and the issue I see constantly is conservatives, you know, it's, and we, we see this on a daily basis where the liberals, you know, ha, have an ideology. They have a belief. And if you don't agree with them, and I've talked about this on my show many times, if you don't agree with them, then you're a bigot. You're a, you're a racist. You're a Nazi. And, but conservatives don't have a right to have their own opinion or their own beliefs. Hypocrisy at its finest. And all these liberals attacking conservatives for believing what they believe in free speech and it, 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 you know, it's and I, I will say this, and this is true. I'm not just one of those people that I say blame Obama, all, you know, all the time. But for something like this, I mean, I, I do blame Obama for a lot of the problems economically yeah. and for certain things. Um, he was definitely the worst president of all time, <laughs> no doubt about it. But I will say, yeah. this whole entitlement, uh, hostility, radicalization taking away free speech censorship started when Obama uh, was, was president. This didn't happen under Bush. I mean, I know social media was still uh, relatively new when Obama came in, but Obama created this atmosphere. Obama created these animals that are attacking uh, us humans. And, I mean, you know, you've seen the kind of people that Obama has worked with like Maxine Waters that are now calling for attack on Trump supporters, wherever you see them, harass them, give them hell, even get, get violent, get physical. I mean, can you imagine if a Republican said something like that? They would be out of a job within one second and the liberal media would go nuts. 
Yeah, you know, when you take a look at um, where this uh, division between the Republicans and the Democrats, which is now so deep that it's very uh, difficult to even get civil conversations between the two, where this whole thing started was um, when uh, Obama came into office, um, he had a majority in the uh, House of Representatives. He had yep. close to a supermajority in the, the Senate. And then Pennsylvania and Senator Arlen Specter. He lost over yep. a thousand Pencil- seats. <laughs> Pennsylvania Senator Arlen Specter, a Republican, switched to Democrat, which gave the Democrats 60 votes in the Senate, a supermajority. Once he had that, he said, look, I can get this health care through without any input at all and without getting any votes from any Republicans. So that and it was the first time in history major legislation was passed without at least one vote in either house from the opposing party. <clears throat> and that created such uh, animosity by Republicans saying, look, this here's a president doesn't even want to hear what we have to say, doesn't really care about what our position is. He's just going to push mm-hmm. everything through and he doesn't care whether he gets any of our votes or not. That, I think, was the start of this big division between the two parties. Look, there was always um, a difference of opinion. Back in the uh, 80s and 90s, when Congress couldn't get things through, we used to say, well, there's gridlock in in Congress. But everything that eventually got passed always had at least some votes from the opposing party. Once Obama passed uh, uh, his Obamacare, Affordable Care Act, Without any input at all from Republicans, that was the beginning of the divide that continues today. And then when President Trump got in, the Democrats just say, I don't care what President Trump is doing, we're going to resist everything. So no matter what he does, every Democrat, let's get together and just vote no on on everything. And that continues this big division between the parties that for the health of the country, that has got to be fixed at some point. And, you know, a huge problem is Barack, Barack Hussein Osama created an environment where he turned it into a glo- – on a global – he turned it into a global scale in the sense that he was putting a lot of other countries first. He was giving – I mean, we saw all the yes. corrupt deals he did, but then he turned us U.S. – he turned U.S. citizens, his voters, into sticking up for second-class citizens, illegal aliens. He, he taught his voters how to embrace socialism. He taught his voters all of this, all of this, you know, you know, the Marx, Marxism antics, you know, ideology. He all these different things that built it, built up over his eight years in office. It just kept getting worse. His supporters were learning all the wrong things. And we all know Obama was Muslim. He, you know, he claims he was Christian because he wanted to get in there. But we even, he's, he even you know, was slipped on national TV saying he was a Muslim, um, and they leaked it later. Uh, he, but, you know, it's the, the most corrupt president on so many levels. But on the free speech thing, I definitely will uh, blame Obama for uh, creating these animals and these uh, people that, especially groups like Antifa, they definitely 
uh, you know, Obama supporters, strong leftists. Um, and, you know, the George Soros thing, Obama is strongly tied to him with, uh, you know, money and, and different stuff like that. And that is uh, as dirty as it gets. So think about, you know, what what was originated under under Obama's watch. I mean, if you really think deeply and thoroughly, um, even if it was behind closed doors, the deals that he was making, um, you know, a lot of this stuff. It's sickening. It, 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 it's it's sickening. But it was all this stuff happening in the streets. All this these riots, these anarchists, these people that hate America, anti-America, want to wave their Mexican flags and their their embrace their Muslim heritage and their Muslim flag. And you know, and then when you say America first or you're you're a patriot, attacked. You're a Nazi. You know what I mean? It's ridiculous. Yeah, you know, um, Obama, I think, had a lot of his priorities mixed up. Uh, even, he, wanted, even today, he, he wanted to divide this country. I believe he wanted to. He did, He He's a guy that yeah. could talk, could talk, but I don't believe his heart was in the right place. I thought at one point in 2008 when I first saw him interviewed, seemed like a nice guy, and then I saw right through him. Never voted for him, uh, and anybody that did is phony and ignorant. Yeah, you know, the way our, our system is supposed to work, you're, you're supposed to put the needs of the majority first and then the needs of everybody else. He had it switched around. He put the needs of some uh, minority groups, some low-income yep. people, uh, he put yep. the, their needs ahead of the needs of the majority. The, the whole Affordable Care Act um, only helped – Six percent of the population, about twenty nothing, million nothing people. Affor- nothing affordable about it. Premium skyrocketed. Right. Uh, he lied about. He said you can keep your plan. We all know he lied about that. About your doctor. Uh, keep your do- you know, yep. keep your doctor. But the whole the whole um, purpose of the Affordable Care Act was to help about six percent of the population, about twenty million people who didn't have health insurance before. The priority was to get those twenty million covered. Meanwhile, the other almost three hundred million of us had to pay for those twenty million. Plus, we had to uh, buy policies that uh, we may not have necessarily wanted, but policies that the Obama administration said you have to buy, and your policy has to cover everything um, that we feel is needed, whether you uh, decide you needed it. Or not, <clears throat> Josh. Go ahead. Your thoughts. Well said, Mike. Yeah, I mean, you know what? I mean, this all started in 2008, obviously, with Obama and with his campaign, where it came to a point where whatever anyone said, if you said something against Obama while he was running, you were a racist. Political correctness. Because you were only saying right. that. Exactly. You're only saying that because he was black. Was basically the idea. And I find it very interesting that you know that kind of put. Uh, Republicans, especially elected officials, in a box where they couldn't say anything for almost eight years. And the ones that did say something, you know, there's only a couple of instances, like the you lie uh, moment from uh, the Wilson <laughs> from South Carolina. But, I mean, uh, yeah. there were not many, you know, of those instances. But the, the thing I realized with, uh, you know, the names switch very fast that Republicans and conservatives get called. And especially with Trump's election, if you know, I've noticed this, 
is that they stick with a specific name that they're calling, calling us, and then they move to something else, and then they move to something else. So at first, you know, Trump was, uh, was a racist because of what he supposedly, you know, the, the thing that they misinterpreted, they said against Mexicans. Then, then he was homophobic. Then, you know, um, he was Hitler. Then he was, you know, we're all Nazis. Now they've gotten to the point where they're just yelling shame at people they disagree with. <laughs> shame, it's, it's almost shame, like they're running shame. out of content. It's like a bad comedian. And I, I'm kind of curious like bad if eventually they're just going to like, it, like they're just going to start like like you know doing some ooga booga chant in you know in the in the crowds of these things who knows but uh i mean i think it's comical but it's very interesting to see how they've kind of run out of stuff to say cuz even for them it's old news it's so boring and the ident- you know jo- and the identity politics is another issue i have you know a lot of these voters have played identity politics voting for Hillary because she's a woman, voting for Obama because he's black, which he's not – I mean, he had a white mom, and I, I, he's not – I'm not going to get into that right now, but you know what I mean. And, you know, it, that's become a problem in our culture. Um, it's something that uh, is – and if you really look at it, it's, uh, it's delusion at its finest um, when anybody wants to play identity politics – and they don't know anything about that candidate or their policies. You know what I mean? No, I, you know, you're absolutely right. And it, it really did, uh, especially, you know, in, in my lifetime, and I'm only 20 years old, but I think in, in, you know, the last 30 years, it really started with Obama where it didn't matter what policy you had. It had to do with, you know, your, your sex, you know, your gender, um, what you, what, who you identified as and what the color of your skin was. That's not what politics is about. Politics has, should have nothing to do with who your mother and daddy is, how much pigment you have in your skin, or if you identify as a man, woman, or, you know, the purple people eater. It should be about what your politics and what your policy says. And you can go back to debates with Al Gore and Bush and all it was in those debates were policy, policy, policy. And honestly, the policy wasn't that far different. As soon as you turn anything to identity politics, all of a sudden, policy, when it was mentioned, got completely different. They were on two, you know, far left, far right policy is what we turned into because of the identity politics. Oh, yeah. Mike Busser, go ahead. I want you to speak on this. Yeah, you know the. Mike, you're a professor. Yeah. You're on a college campus. You see this kind of stuff. Uh, absolutely, um, and uh, as I mentioned before, I teach at a university that started out as a liberal arts college, and there's still a very uh, strong liberal arts philosophy there. Um, about ninety-five percent of the faculty um, are very liberal, uh, and they think um, if you ask them who the greatest president was, uh, they're liable to, uh, likely to put President uh, Obama up there as one of the greatest presidents. Uh, they, too, view uh, social issues as the um, main criteria for judging a president. And from that, they feel that um, President Obama did a, an excellent job. He uh, brought a lot of the social issues uh, to the forefront. Um, in the meantime, the rest of us um, have a little different view that 
Um, the president, while it certainly have social issues are important, um, the most important thing is to have a very strong country where we feel safe and a strong economy where everybody is uh, employed and uh, incomes are going up. Um, once you get to situations like that, uh, and that's where Trump's trying to get to us, just like Reagan did back in the in the 80s, um, build up the military so we're so strong that uh, nobody would dare uh, come against us. That's the whole peace through strength um, philosophy. And as Reagan did, uh, Trump realizes to really solve most of the social problems, we can first have to get the economy humming again. Uh, so President Trump, uh, as soon as he got into office, he said – there's thousands of burdensome regulations that are holding the economy back. I can fix that myself through executive order, which he did. Uh, and the next thing he said, look, we have to uh, fix this health care uh, situation. I thought he had everything all passed. And then at the last minute, um, you know, one of the senators voted no, who we expected to vote yes. And the whole thing didn't uh, didn't work, but at least he confronted it. Um, and then he said, what we really need for economic growth is to have a, a tax system where uh, people can keep more of the money that they earned. Uh, business should also be able to keep more of the money that they earn so they can give it to employees, stockholders, and more importantly, reinvest it into the economy. Um, and now that Trump has put uh, those priorities back in the top spot, the economy is starting to, to hum. I believe, as I've said before, the second quarter GDP number will be out um, in two weeks from tomorrow. Uh, it's likely to show the economy growing at at least a 4% rate and maybe even a little bit um, higher than that. And I think that will continue into the future, um, at least for some time. Um, once the economy starts growing like that and you have all the underemployed people like my uh, students who for the last six, eight, ten years have been struggling to find one good job opportunity and often had to uh, take jobs for which they were overqualified. Uh, with the growing economy that Trump's producing, all of those underemployed people can now get jobs for which they are qualified. That opens up uh, the jobs for people that may have less than a college degree who have dropped out of the labor force in the last four, five, six, eight Years. So all these discouraged workers come back. That means there are fewer people needing food stamps, fewer people needing welfare, more people contributing to the economy and paying taxes. So now we get in a position where the government's spending less on some of these social programs. There's more revenue coming in. Now we're in a much stronger economic position, and we can tackle some of these social problems. Obama had it exactly backwards. He tried to get the social problems first and to heck with what happened to the economy, or at least look at that secondary. Trump said, oh, no, it's the other way around. Get the economy moving. Get everybody in a strong position. Then let's start tackling these social problems. Well, very well said. Josh, go ahead. Yeah, boy, you that was that was perfect. You're, you're absolutely right. He did have it. You know, Obama did have it right. That was uh, – I. Now, I haven't really heard it worded like that, but that's exactly what happened. And, um, yeah. you know, the the problem the, the, and the thing you just addressed is it's very difficult to talk about social issues 
when your economy isn't doing well, when people don't have jobs, they don't really give a gosh darn about social <laughs> issues. Social issues are not really on the peak of their mind when they're worried about, you know, making sure that their two kids and their wife have food on the table in a month from now, you know, when they've lost their job that they thought was locked down. So it was just poor strategy, period, you know, which is, yeah. which is just to go to, you know, to, to reinforce my point from before of, it, you know, policy matters. I don't, like I was, I don't care what color you are or, you know, what sexual identity you have or anything about that. I don't care what social place you have. It, your policy matters. If your policy is bad, then, it, you know, you need to not be considered for president of the United States. Obama's policy was not good, and it wasn't founded in the right places. And because the economy took a back burner to social issues, you know, it, it, you know the uh, the the country suffered, and and not only just the economy, it you know uh, defense issues, uh, foreign policy, all these things took a second place, and it was I mean it's it's the reason it was our country was doing badly. You're yeah, you know Obama to... took his his I was going to say Obama Go ahead, took Mike. his position at exactly the worst possible time. He came in, into office when the economy was in the midst of a, an extremely severe recession. At that time, when the economy is going backwards, that's what a recession is, you're uh, declining uh, output. At that time, the number one goal should be get the economy growing again and let's get out of this recession. Um, and because he put the social, Obama put the social issues first, um, economic growth was never, never during his eight term, uh, eight year in office, never was economic growth even a fairly high pr- priority. As I mentioned on the uh, uh, show here before, um, Obama's the first president in history to serve in office without having at least one year where economic growth was at least 3%. He averaged a little over. Two percent never had any years of none of the eight years above three percent. That's the the longest period of economic stagnation. Even during the depression in the 1930s, we had two years where growth exceeded three percent. And really, in my view, that lack of growth has really led led to most of the even social problems that we have today. You're absolutely right, and Josh and you bring up great points. I have real strong issues with social, with the so the social status, and the social issues. Like the so, like it's absolutely insane. Some of these voters care more about a transgender going into a bathroom than they do about somebody having a good job and providing for their family. I mean, is that what America came? That's what America came to at that point, and it still kind of is. We're we're trying to get out of it because Trump's president now. But that's what Obama taught these people. Obama taught the like created these entitled punks and these entitled people. And all of these different gender identities, just another talking point for them. You've got, um, you know, free health care, except it's not free. It's coming out of taxpayer dollars. You've got free education, except it's not free. It's coming out of taxpayer dollars. You've got free welfare, except it's not free. It's coming out of taxpayer dollars. So it's the same. It's the same. It's the same old merry-go-round and with Obama and with, with these Democrats. And these Democrats are still 
like practicing the same policies that Obama put in place. And, you know, I know Trump's got rid of, rid of a lot of them, but the Democrats are learned from Obama and they're still doing what he was doing. And actually it's even gotten, uh, I mean, the, the, the fact that how far left it's getting, um, you know, that's, that's nothing to joke around about. I mean, that's, um, you know, I mean, there, John Cusack, for instance, the actor, lib, liberal, liberal uh, maniac on Twitter, uh, was calling for a coup, was calling for the people to overthrow the president, like they do sometimes in foreign huh. countries. I mean, we have we have stuff like that we are working with and dealing with. So when you have, you know, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, if the Democratic Party keeps up on this road. Uh, I'd be worried about their existence in the future. Um, if you take a look at what's happened, uh, now pre- um, it, when Obama ran in 2008, there was a big backlash against President Bush. Bush got us into this war in Iraq. We're never going to get out of this thing. The economy's uh, having trouble based on Bush's policies. So Obama came along and said, you know, I'm much different than Bush. I'm going to fundamentally change the country. Uh, and as you mentioned, he was uh, a very popular personally. He could speak very eloquently, and he kind of mesmerized everybody and was able to win in 2008. But then in 2010, uh, when people looked at his policies, they voted Republican, and the House of Representatives changed from Democrat to Republican. 2012, President Obama was running again, he, again, very personally, very popular, an excellent speaker. He was able to win. But then 24, um, the Democrats lose the Senate. The Senate becomes Republican. Then in 2016, the presidency becomes Republican. Uh, And um, if you take a look around the country, about two-thirds of the states have a a Republican governor and or a Republican legislature. Well, if the Democrats continue to emphasize the social issues and pull the party further to the left, um, which they're continuing to do. I think in 2018, this election in November, I think the Democrats are going to suffer even uh, greater losses to the point where you may see 57, 58, perhaps as many as 60 Republican senators and uh, a increase in the majority in, in the House. Now, while that's real strong for the Republicans, the way our system works we need an opposing voice that makes a little bit of sense. So right. you don't want to see the, the Democratic Party completely die out. In fact, you'd like to see them go back to the, the uh, party when uh, John Kennedy was president, even when Bill Clinton yes. was president in the 90s. Clinton I, said in, in one of his State of Union speeches, uh, he said the era of big government is over. So if you take yeah, a look at what Clinton remember, said – he did a lot of bad things, like signing NAFTA, the worst he certainly deal of did. all time. He, he absolutely did. Yeah, but, but at least he wasn't so far to the left right. that uh, the people were rejecting the, the party. Look, the Democrats are always going to lean left. I mean, that's just the way they yeah. are. The Republicans are always yeah. going to lean uh, right. But leaning is one thing, and reaching an extreme position is another. And that's the danger the, the Democratic Party is in today. They're going for an extreme position on on the left the voters will again reject that this november and i'm concerned about the uh, future existence 
of the Democratic Party. They're going to have to get rid of the existing leadership, uh, Schumer yes. and Pelosi, uh, and bring in some of the younger people, not the and radical that, young people who went the the left, but good, solid uh, people to come in there if the party is to succeed in the future. You forgot they got to. You forgot they got to get rid of Pocahontas and Mad Max. Um, but I do, exactly. I do have some things. I do have some things to respond to you on. First of all, when Obama came into office in 2008, he, uh, you know, first of all, I'll say this: President Trump, President Trump would not be president right now if it was, if I, I say, oh, this is what I've said. Obama created such a disaster, such a mess. And people viewed what happened, and that's why President Trump is president. Like if Romney would have won in 2012, if Romney would have won in 2012, I don't know if President Trump would be president right now. I think it was no. destined to happen for Obama to do two terms, and then you, everybody saw the real disaster he was. Uh, they, some people sadly couldn't figure it out figure it out after one term, um, but you know I really strongly believe that you know President Trump is here. Uh, for a very valid reason, and to, to fix the mess. I mean, this he was yeah. destined. I mean, this is de- this was destined to happen. And second of all, I've talked about on my show many times what you just mentioned, what the Democratic Party is doing right now with resisting and the hostility and the radicalization and the socialism and the communism and the entitlement. Awful. It's is the, awful. It, it's the same. It's the same shenanigans and the riots they do and, and the ang- and the uh, violent protests. It's the same shenanigans they did uh, in 2016 when they were trying to get Hillary elected. How did that work out for them? Trump won. They're doing the same exact thing. They're repeating the definition of insanity. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, 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 no different. Yeah, and it, it, um, if they continue to do this, uh, they will suffer large losses. I think what's going to happen is – uh, if if it turns out that they do suffer the losses that I anticipate, I think yeah. the party is going to start to look at itself and say, you know, where we're going to the left here, and where some of the older, more uh, uh, older established leaders in our party are taking us, is not where the future of this party should be. So I think they'll take a hard look at themselves and they'll try to find some leaders uh, who can really lead the Democratic Party and not in a way that pulls them further. To the left, you have somebody like Cory Booker from New Jersey here coming up, but he's pulling the party even further to the left. That's that's not going to work. Um, okay. As I say, it's okay. For, yeah, it's okay for the Democratic Party to lean left, just as the Republican Party leans right. But there's a difference between leaning and falling all the way over to one one side. Um, so if they're going to continue to ex- exist in the future, they're going to have to take a hard look in the mirror and say, what is it that the American people really want? And we're going to have to give them what they want. Otherwise, we're not going to be in existence. Yeah. Oh, 100, 100%. Go ahead, Josh. Yeah, I mean, I, I just wanted to – this is kind of a question as well as a prediction I'm going to make here just because I wanted to get it on uh, record, recorded here. I believe in the, uh, in the 2020 election – that the Libertarian Party or another party is going to see a real boost from these Democrats that, you know, uh, don't believe in the Democrat Party anymore, but also still want to be, you know, still are liberal enough where they don't want to go Republican. And I, I don't know if you guys see a similar trend or not. Um, I would say something like that is certainly possible. 
Um, we haven't had anything like that, I think, since the Whig Party went out of existence and the Republicans came in um, well over 100 and some years ago. Someone can check my history on that. So it's very, it's very difficult. But if something like that is going to happen, it's, it will happen uh, after the 2020 election or during the election, even when uh, you're, you're right, Josh, that uh, people are going to say, hey, I'm I'm not a Republican, but this is not the Democratic Party I thought I was in. And they may look for an alternative. And if there's enough of them, um, another party candidate could could have a significant impact on uh, the future of the Democratic Party and the future of politics. And I'm and I'm trying to think. I think the last time that it happened would have been Teddy Roosevelt. Actually, he had the Bull Moose Party, um, uh, and I think around that time there was a there was a kind of a three party system where okay. uh, they were kicking each other's butt. I think, but obviously the Whig Party was the last time where it was prominent enough where you know people actually remember the name. But yeah. Rory, I, I don't know what you thought about that. You know, I. You know, here's what I see with the libertarians. The li- and the libertarians have always kind of are tricky. They're tricky voters because you don't. It, it, it's a different form of um, government. It's a different form of political ideology. It's a different form of uh, beliefs in certain aspects. So you know that's why a lot of them. You know, there's a significant amount that vote just independent because they're not happy with either candidate, which, you know, my thoughts on voting for somebody that doesn't have a chance to win like an independent, I I, I just don't know. I would, you know, the libertarians, you know, the the way they make their decisions kind of puzzles me sometimes because they'll they'll vote for somebody who's not going to win. Uh, but they don't want to help somebody that could possibly, you know, uh, benefit their agenda, you know, d- depending on what they're looking for. Um, yeah, so yeah. it's just it's, it's different for me. You know what I mean? It's different. I, I, in 2020, I see a libertarian, a lot more libertarians leaning towards Trump. You know, it, it could on not on not on everything, um, on on a few on on you know. Multiple things. I mean, there'll be a good amount, but there'll also be a lot they disagree with him on, and that's where the problem comes in. Because if you disagree with a candidate on a lot of stuff, it makes you think twice about voting for. Him. But if you agree with them at the same time about a lot of, them, it, it just it puts you in that kind of mindset. It, and um, you know, I want to I want to say that you know the, the Ron Paul kind of libertarians, those types will definitely be leaning towards Trump. Definitely, without a doubt. Yeah. Um, yeah. But then yeah. you know, the, but the Libertarian Party, then you got the left-leaning Libertarians, which are a little scary that, you know, some voted for, um, what's the... Those are uh, crazy. What's the, green, <laughs> what's the green candidate's name? Jill Stein. Some of them voted for Jill yeah, Stein. Yeah, Jill Stein, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, you know, so, yeah so it's, just, it's kind of a, ba- it's, 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 it's a weird balance, I guess. Go ahead, Josh. Uh, yeah, this I is mean, Michael. I, I, I was, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, um, uh, libertarians, uh, in 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 theory, I always like the fact that they want virtually no government involvement. No government, and figure, government. Well, yep, I like that too. I right. like that part. I agree with that part. Yeah, I, I, I'm afraid. I'm afraid they go a little too far. 
Um, sometimes, yes. Even, yes, absolutely. Yeah, any, anybody who, who favors limited role of government doesn't say that there's no role for government. So there should be some role. It is a very limited role. I think the libertarians sometimes want to take a little too far, almost down to no role for government. Well, we do need government. Uh, there are certain functions that the defense of the country, setting up a legal system. I mean, you do need a government to do certain things, provide leadership. <clears throat> we all uh, agree, or at least most of us here agree, that um, the role of government should be limited and small, but there should be some role for government. The libertarians, to me, always seem to want to take uh, too much of the role of government away, and, that, and I think that can be somewhat of a problem, too. Exactly. That's, uh, you know, that's a very dangerous uh, scenario uh, when you want to, in a sense, that's anarchy. I mean, if they want to completely take everything away, but you've got to be, they're not specific enough with their laws and their, and, and their right. guidelines and their, and their, what, you know, what they want to eliminate from government. I mean, there has to be more detail, and I think there's a lot of good ideas from libertarians, especially the ones that lean more to the right, that I think could be properly utilized and pursued in a great manner in D.C. With that being said, yes. I do want to say that um, the, the libertarian um, you know, effect – is really working with Trump because look at all the regulations he's cutting. That's that's limiting yes. government. Is, I mean that's <clears throat> that's really that's wooing them in. That's drawing them. In. That's you know that's getting that you know them excited because that's what they want to see essentially. Um, yeah, I mean I yeah, I, I know jo- I know Josh is you know Josh you're a, a right leaning libertarian. I, I know you want to speak on this. Go ahead. I mean, honestly, I agreed with pretty much everything you said, and um, I, you know, I've never voted libertarian, but I, I would say I'm a, I'm a, I'm a Christian libertarian who sympathizes with the crazy libertarians. Um, right. Uh, the, and by crazy libertarians, I mean the anarchist libertarians. Um, but right. you know, I, I will say I think I think everything you said was really right, especially about when they you say they're not clear enough with their you know their policy. I mean, that was one of the reasons in 2016. Hypothetically, the libertarians yeah. should have taken a much bigger percent. I think it was six percent they took of the vote. What, that's that's so poor. It's ridiculous. It had to have been these more. candidates are so hated by everyone. Why shouldn't they have taken a bigger vote? And the reason that they didn't right. was because they had a guy named Gary Johnson, who literally was when asked questions, he would go, "Well, you know, um, I mean, I really don't care. Let the states decide." And that was for the guy was high all the time. Fine. Did you tell? <laughs> I mean, he was all fun. pro. Yes, all he, ta- he did talk about a lot the pro pot. He always was talking about it. He did. Keep going. He did. He did a lot. Yeah, I mean, but at the end of the day, you have to. You have to. And, and I said this to all my libertarian friends. You have to come. You have to say something that you. You know, you have to make your policy clear on some things because you know why the heck should I elect you president if your stance is to? Well, I'm just going to sit here in the Oval Office. And uh, you know, drink champagne and eat some peanuts. Uh, maybe go to a Nationals game or two, and let the states deal with all the legislation. And I'll peek my head out every once in a while to give a thumbs up when they pass something that takes away government. Yippee, yai, kaye, libertarian. Yeah, and hmm. you know, here here's the part that is pivotal and huge, and will totally 
make one of the biggest impacts on the Libertarian Party. Trump is going to legalize marijuana. You watch. He's already <laughs> talking about it. He, he, he's beating the Democrats to it. It's a huge advantage, and uh, you can only imagine how much more voters he's going to attract. And you know what? The people that are on his side and are loyal to him, are the Trump army, the Trump army, the Trump supporters never leave. So, you know, the economy is doing great. Everything's doing fantastic. If Trump wants to legalize pot, it's a good business idea because, because you can make a lot of money. Just as much as alcohol these days. People are smoking just as much as they're drinking. I think Trump, and, yeah. and there's already a big article about it in Forbes. Okay. Uh, it, was either, it, was either, it was either earlier today or late last night or something, but I read it. And uh, he, he's beating the Democrats to it. They, they, he has a strong um, interest in, uh, you know, talking about it, legalizing it. So that would be yeah. huge. Yeah, I I agree. Uh, <clears throat> I think he is going to uh, legalize it for just the reasons that you said. Uh, there's a lot of revenue that can be earned from it, and there's a lot of people that are going to jail uh, who, uh, you know, are not really criminals. Um, for a but little they pot happen on to get caught with some. Yeah. Right. Uh, and there people are certainly not criminals, so there's no sense putting those people in jail and wasting the resources right. of the judicial system. So I, I agree with you. And uh, every survey I've seen shows that a majority of the people uh, favor at least decriminalization of uh, pot, and many favor uh, complete legalization. I live in New Jersey, um, yeah. and uh, they have a Democratic governor Very just elected here. Yeah, uh, all kinds of problems. Oh, your governor, um, man, I the... tell you, your, gov- your governor is something <laughs> else. Guys, something else. Yeah, he's a. Uh, he just raised he just taxes on uh, corporations. He just raised taxes on the highest in- income earners. He's going to raise the minimum wage up to $15 an hour. Uh, I live in a resort community. Get ready for, uh, Get ready for those bomber. kiosk machines with that $15 an hour. Get ready for the kiosk. They're not, owners that, aren't going to be paid. A, you know, they're going to be laying people that's off. Exactly they right. don't want to hire more. Yep. You're ready. That's exactly right. Uh, but one of the things that uh, Mur- Governor Murphy is doing is he's pushing to get uh, marijuana, or recreational use of marijuana, passed by the end of this year. Um, and wow. uh, there are a number yeah. of states, as you know, that have already done that. Yeah. Um, so uh, for Trump to get a, a out in, in front of this, I think, is a, a great move, and it'll take something away from the Democrats. Yeah, I, I think everything yeah. Trump has done so far – uh, as much as the press, ninety uh, percent of the coverage of, pre- of President Trump is negative. Um, but in spite of uh, being uh, having uh, the press against them, having every Democrat against them, and even some Republicans against them, uh, he's coming up with some miraculous things and getting uh, a lot of things done. I mean, the guy is a uh, miracle worker. The guy is uh, yeah. something that. Uh, I mean, he's he's a profound machine. That's that's how I describe him. I mean, he's he's, I uh, I'm I'm amazed of of everything. And with this marijuana thing, it should absolutely be federally legal. Just just legalize it. You know, it that you know, alcohol kills people every single day. Marijuana has never killed anyone. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's yeah. and it's one of those things where you want to put more money. All you want to put billions with a B back into the U.S. economy? I think so. I think it'd be very smart. Um, but, um, yep. Josh, Josh, go ahead. I know you have a lot to say yeah. about this one. I mean, 
<laughs> Rory, you know the angle I normally take on the whole drug issue, uh, which oh, you ahead. enjoy so much. But I'm actually, I, I'm going to take a little bit of a different angle, which I haven't really brought up before, which is um, I, I think it'll be very interesting. Cause, so I live in rural Ohio, and most of the people that I would say that you would, you know, 50 and above, so, you know, the, the potential of being someone's grandparent or, you know, or, or, shoot, now it's almost uh, parents, but a lot of them are not very interested in this whole marijuana issue, especially in rural parts, which is and, and right. a lot of Trump's voter basis. But I do believe that this will be one of the things that even though they'll, they'll turn their nose up at it, it's not going to keep yeah. them from voting for Trump. Uh, which I right. think is very like, interesting yeah. about this. It's not a it's a big issue to them, but it's not big enough that it's going to make them, you know, um, turn ship. Because first off, there's nowhere to turn ship to. Sadly enough, uh, there are no other options, even if they wanted to. Um, as well as I think they're going to realize that it's not as big as a deal as they think it is in their head when they see it in practice. Yeah. I agree with that. And even if some of Trump's supporters are not completely on board with that, um, there's so much else that, that Trump is doing that they'll stay loyal to him. And he should be able to attract uh, some people uh, that may not have considered Trump, uh, realizing that, you know, uh, Trump is not uh, as bad as people uh, thought he was, frankly. Um, I think the Democrats are missing a, a tremendous opportunity. They should be working with, um, while Trump takes very conservative positions, he's much more compassionate uh, than other conservatives may be. So and as a result, it, yeah, the Democrats could be able to get some things through here that if you had a little uh, stricter conservative Republican, you probably wouldn't wouldn't get through. I think the Democrats are missing a tremendous opportunity by not trying to work with Trump rather than fighting him all the time, which is what they're, they're, you, they're doing. You, you, and they you know what? They have, they, go ahead. Go ahead, Josh. Yeah. They, I mean, he has the ability to be so bipartisanship and they just refuse to work with them. They're really right. taking a major L and they're handing it to themselves. Yep. Yep. Exactly. They, they really <clears> are. Throat> and throat> Go ahead. I was just going to say, Rory, I'm I'm on the East Coast. It's uh, quarter we got after five twelve. Minutes left. Uh, if you want, if you want to stick okay. to the end of the show, we got five minutes left. Um, yep. Okay. I, I'll hang in there. Good. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I just you know I just wanted to mention as well. Um, you know, with the um, going back to the pot thing, um, that there's just so many positive aspects uh, to to the whole idea. Um, yeah. You know, in fact, there's very little, at, very little negative. Exactly, business yeah. owners can grow, employees can be hired, the the government can. I mean, we could put a lot of money back in the U.S. economy. Uh, you know, it's 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 a great thing. It really is, um, and it's something that needs to be addressed and utilized um, soon. And I think Trump will because um, yeah. it's already getting his atten- it's already getting his attention, according to people that work with him. Um, yeah, but, but here, here's, um, you know, the kind of stuff that is sickening to me, we've seen all the, all the, you know, the liberal antics, the, the Hollywood madness. Um, I, you know, I can't even, you know, I can't even believe some of these idiots. Stormy Daniels was just arrested. Uh, you got George (laughs) Lope, you got George Lopez. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah, and we got George Lopez, who I can't stand, uh, faking like he's pissing on Trump's star. Uh, you know, George Lopez with his small pecker. I, I'm tired of Joe, George. I'm sick of George Lopez. He always trashes Trump. He always, you know, every single time yeah. he gets a chance, he bashes Trump. I, you know, it's all about they're they're like a cult. Like the all these these you know, there's a lot of conservatives in Hollywood. Don't get me wrong, but the the liberals are the majority. I, yes, oh my god! We have. It's it's a it's a it's a disease. It's an epidemic. You know. I mean, boy, boy yeah. you're right. I and and boy, the Stormy Daniels thing was absolutely hysterical. And I I listened. I uh, I was listening to a little Ben Shapiro uh, a couple of days yeah. uh, you know <laughs> today his uh his show uh, talking about that and it was just him talking about that was hysterical. Just and him reading through the police report was just getting me yeah. cracking up. I mean. I, the, it was just so ridiculous. It's like Stormy Daniels is literally on a, a tour of being like the Democrat hero, and she would have thought that she would have stopped uh, on on through her tour to you know get some money thrown at her for a, a you know um, performing sexually. Like that's nothing she's never done before. I'm so surprised. And she and yeah. even the city of what the city of West Hollywood uh, gave her her own day. There's Stormy Daniels Day, and she gets the key to the city every year on her day. It's so it's pathetic. It's absolutely like they can keep that as, day. I uh, I'll be I'll be staying home. <laughs> <laughs> they, yeah, they, they can keep that day. And now apparently Sasha Baron Cohen uh, Borat uh, has a new show where he is. Uh, apparently he dressed up as a veteran and tricked Sarah Palin into an interview. And now there's a lot of backlash. And he also, um, uh-huh. he's doing, you know, he's doing all these different pranks and I'm curious to see, um, you know, it, it's just all this, this, this nutty, it's just nutty. And then you got Tom Arnold who is, uh, you know, doing a show, uh, the finding the missing Trump, uh, uh, tapes of you know him saying uh, indecent things on camera, or you know him and the woman, you know him and the with the woman in the pageant, but they're not going to find anything. There's nothing there. It's just all, and people buy into it. It's so funny how people buy into it. Yeah, and Rory, I know there's only a couple yeah. minutes left, but I want to touch on the Sarah Palin thing real quick. Yeah, how, I don't know yeah, how low. Yeah, I don't know. You, there's a certain level of lowness that you have to go to dress up as an injured veteran to prank exactly. a, a former politician who hasn't been relevant for what eight, what how many twelve years or whatever it's been now. I mean, my goodness, just an mm-hmm. absolute lowness. And Sasha Baron, Sasha Baron Cohen is from England. He has no idea what it's like to be an American veteran. He has no idea. He has no idea. He's a punk. And I've seen him on interviews. I'm not going to say I'm not going to say his inter- I'm not going to say that his movies haven't been funny because some of Borat was hilarious. But he's a punk. The guy's a, a self. The guy's a self-centered douchebag, and he's literally um, he, he makes fun of a lot of people. But he does it. He goes too far a lot of times, and it's just not appropriate. Yeah. Uh, but, but Michael, um, I really want to thank you for coming on. Um, yep. Yeah, economics expert, public policy analysis, writer for townhall.com, Newsmax, Lyset, and a professor of finance at Stockton University in New Jersey. 
Um, Michael, if you want to promote anything, go ahead. Just say if, if anybody's interested in reading my uh, opinion columns, best place to find me uh, is on Facebook. Um, just search Funding Democracy. It's called Funding Democracy, the Economics of Freedom. But if you put uh, Facebook.com forward slash Funding Democracy, uh, come up and see uh, all the columns I've written for the last three or four years. Excellent. Excellent. And, uh, you know, uh, Mike, we will have you back on the show uh, very surely. Uh, My pleasure. You're, you're, a good, you're a good friend of the show. Um, great. I loved your insight. Always a pleasure. God bless and have a great night. Cheers, Thank you, Roy. Take care. All right. All right. Yep. And, Josh, uh, go ahead. Do you want to promote anything, buddy? For sure, yeah. Uh, my Instagram, follow me up at J-O-S-H-H-L-A-V is in Victor, A-T-Y. And obviously, uh, I'm going to have stuff coming soon to the Next Gen USA I'm very excited about. Yep, the new media site uh, that we have coming out, the Next Gen USA. Um, I want to promote real quick, uh, please visit TheDonaldJTrumpStore.com. Again, that's TheDonaldJTrumpStore.com. Visit RorySodder.tv. Again, that's RorySodder.tv. Also visit GetYourAppBuilt.com. Again, that's GetYourAppBuilt.com. Visit MakingChristianityGreatAgain.com. Again, that's MakingChristianityGreatAgain.com. Um, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, I'm all over social media. Um, I want to thank all of you for tuning in tonight to the Rory Sauter Show. I appreciate all of you. Um, you know, my audience, my advertisers, the guests were fantastic, so God bless them. Uh, thank you to my co-host, uh, Josh, as always. Um, but anyways, uh, good night, everybody. Uh, we will see you next week. I'm Rory Sauter. Cheers. God bless.